0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. Rolling along. Episode 238. It is, uh, what is it, Wednesday? February 21st, I think. Yes, it is. be the 20th. So today's the 21st. We're a week past Valentine's Day. Hope you did your Valentine's right. That is Ryan Chapman. He's in Oklahoma City. That is Randall Sweet. He also is in Oklahoma City. Actually, Randall's at, or, uh, Ryan's in more today, back at the uh, home studios. I'm at uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you know me as John Hoover. Uh, we're still waiting on some uh, football availability, guys. There's, It's so quiet right now. It's like this black hole of February that there's no content coming out of the football program except for the stuff that they put on social media themselves out of their own accounts from, what is it, some fitness, some workouts, some strength training, some coaching stations that they're doing. The guys are working. The team is working their butts off. But I looked it up. I went back in my notes, and I'm like, "When are we going to do this uh, February Media Day, fellas? Um, last year it was February 16th, so we're behind by a week. We need some content, Mike. Houck, turn start turning the screws on Brent Venables. Uh, we I, could
1: use uh, we could use some help here. I, 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 not even February Media Day, as far as the new players. There's a new defensive coordinator we haven't spoken to. Right. Uh, the it took two years to get that approved, and now it's going to take another. Hey, maybe the Alamo Bowl media day will be the first time that we talk to Zach <laughs> Allen. Uh, ooh, well, that would I agree. Be, that's a that's kind of a low blow.
2: The Alamo Bowl is still the only time we've talked to. um uh, Matt Latrell. Latrell since taking over as the offensive coordinator. So I think Ryan uh, might be onto something there that there is a a chance that we don't get to talk to. Mr. Alley for a while, but I, I think it might, it's also interesting. Are, is Oklahoma maybe waiting on um, to hear if there's a few other players that are coming before they do this media availability? I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me.
0: Yeah, no, that you're right. There could be a little bit of a hangup where you don't want to jam all the newcomers in and then bring in three more the following week. And all of a sudden you got to bring them out or make them wait. So I get kind of dragging it out a little bit, but uh, boy, if you're going to get through the transfer portal and you're going to get 20 freshmen coming in, in a class, uh, and you're going to say – you're going to stand up at the podium, remember last year, and say, this is a good thing. We want these guys to build their brand. We're all about it. And then the next year you don't do anything.
1: I don't know. Just saying. Well, the best Venables is heavily involved in the defense, except for when Zach Alley comes in to be heavily involved in the defense. So it's consistent with – what the first few years have been. I'm,
0: I'm sitting here complaining that we don't have access yet. That's what we do in the media, right? We want access so we can have content, so we can generate readership. That's just what we do. The fact of the matter is that that uh, February media day that we had last year was manna from heaven. We didn't expect it. We didn't know it was coming. It was amazing. It was great. We appreciated it. So if we're a week behind, no big deal. If we're two weeks behind, eh. If we're not going to do it, let us know. But I I fully have confidence that the whole thing is going to happen. And we're going to be able to ask some questions of the maybe the head coach, too, of stuff like uh, what's going on with your support staff. You had Lee Davis leave. She's been replaced reportedly by, I hope I'm saying this right, Jolie Ale. Uh, J.R. Sandlin is off to SMU. He's going to be an assistant AD and, and general manager of uh, personnel there at SMU. He was director of player personnel and recruiting at Oklahoma. We can ask questions maybe about the uh, the facilities that um, haven't been talked about really since Thad Turnipseed left. Are those things still moving forward? What's going on with them? What's the status? Where are they at? There's some questions that everybody wants answered or at least the opportunity to ask. Um, what do you guys think about uh, what's going on? Just kind of in the periphery, some of those Names that are not on the coaching staff, but are are yet moving and shaking in and out of Norman.
2: I, but, I, sorry, go for it. Well, I, I think the Sandlin one obviously is really interesting because you know, from a fan's perspective, you don't. It's not a name you hear a lot, right? J.R. Sandlin, but yeah. someone who was down there on the sidelines every week. I saw him talking to recruits before the game. I saw him talking to coaching staff. I saw him, you know, doing all these behind the scenes things. And from everything that we've heard from players, from staff, from every everyone is that Salem behind the scenes was a huge, huge part of Oklahoma's recruiting efforts, especially, you know, getting those kids to campus once they're on campus. And again, that's a guy who played college football himself, a guy who played tight end at UCF. Um, And so someone who knows the the world, the landscape of college football, who's been there, who's done it before. And really just a guy who looks the part when recruits get to campus, they say, wow, that's, yeah, that's a part of the football program. Um, And so Again, it's it's kind of hard to, to know exactly uh, how big of a loss it will be because we don't know exactly what he did on a day-to-day basis. We, you know, we're not in the meeting rooms hearing him, you know, talk about uh, planning and strategizing and things like that. But we do know that he was a massive part of OU's recruiting efforts. Uh, he helped OU bring in two really good classes the past two years. Um, and obviously, a lot of that's Brent Venables. A lot of that is just the name on the the logo on the side of the helmet, right? But uh, J.R. Sandlin was definitely involved in that as well, losing him to, you know, an up-and-coming program like SMU that's, you know, going to be in a Power Four conference this year. Uh, It definitely hurts uh, that general manager title is becoming more and more common in college athletics. Uh, I know Texas Tech did that with their basketball program maybe a year ago, Uh, named a general manager. I think a lot of football programs are starting to do it. Uh, There might even be some whispers that OU is looking at adding a former player as their general manager. Um, And so I think that that whole part of it's really interesting. Just another wrinkle in um, kind of the changing development of college football, the college football landscape.
1: Well, and and like inside baseball stuff, because Randall's exactly right on, on everything there is too. From, from our perspective, Oklahoma has a set of coaches for the most part. Uh, We get this a lot when you talk to Porter Moser, you get it a lot during the season with Brent Venables that are laser focused on the here and the now. This is the time where it's not just everything you mentioned, Hoove, but, We now have a new playoff adjustment, tweak to the new playoff model. You're going into a first year of a new playoff. Oklahoma, for all intents and purposes, the football side of things is now an SEC program. There's no – they don't have to walk on the eggshells and we're we're about being present here in the Big 12. Screw that. You're not playing another Big 12 game. Let's start Mm -hmm. asking about what's gone into this SEC transit. There's a ton of just moving parts of college football is restructuring, Oklahoma is restructuring, just as every program across the country is and this is kind of that opportunity to hear now when they're not preparing for games to not just, hey, how, how are the freshmen coming in and looking, but this is where the big picture stuff get, gets kind of talked about, and, and you get to really paint those. Uh, it's kind of broad strokes during the season, but this is where we can dial in on some of the, the finite details of different things across college football that, that is affecting Oklahoma and how Oklahoma is handling it because, again, that, that they're not working toward temple is, is in three days and I'm just laser focused on, on making a game plan for, for what the owls are bringing to Norman or or something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, we all want to talk to Zach Alley. We all want to get some uh, some questions at him, get him his philosophy on defense and his uh, loyalty to Brent Venables and where he fits on this staff, that kind of thing. Is he going to do special teams? We were talking before the podcast started. Is he going to do the special teams, or is he just going to have one unit, or is he going to be focused strictly on D.C.? Um, the J.R. Sandlin thing to me is interesting because um, – he, had, he was such an integral, integral role um, in being the guy, being kind of the point man in all the recruiting efforts and matching the numbers and making sure you had the right uh, amount of defensive tackles being recruited and the number of offers that were sent out. Don't send out too many at once. You know, um, just putting together the numbers, putting together the, the little slide puzzle, the Rubik's Cube, if you will, Uh, of all the things that go into building a class and then stacking another class on top of that. He was kind of the point man for all that in a a lot of ways. Um, And then in terms of what Jolie Ale is going to bring, uh, my understanding is um, she's going to be, she's going to do what Lee Davis did, which is director of on-campus recruiting. Uh, Lee Davis went to UCF. She's got an assistant AD job now. And she's like operations and recruiting director at UCF, which is a big 12 school. So that's good. That's good for her. But this, this role is more of a idea role, more of a innovator, more of a creative person, you know, men- mentality and thinking of what you're going to do when, okay, you've got six recruits coming in this weekend but you've got nine coming in next weekend. You don't want to do something here that you're not going to do next week, but at the same time, you want to wow both classes. So let's get the, the creative juices flowing. That's what the on-campus uh, recruiting director, a lot of what they did was get them in and and impress them, make sure they see everything they need to see, but make each one feel unique, make each recruit feel like this is their time. and that, then that, That's got to be hard to do because – there's so much repetitiveness with so many of the of the people that are uh, coming onto your campus, the recruits and their families, and you want to make sure, like I said, you cover all your bases and say everything that needs to be said, but at the same time, each one has to feel individualized. So there's a there's a creativity element that belongs to that job. And and Jolie Ali, she worked with the, she worked in the Utah recruiting department. She worked at USC before Lincoln Riley got there. Uh, she was also with the uh, Chargers. She's a SoCal girl, so she's got some Southern Cal ideas. Maybe I don't know.
1: Um, just keep her away from the defensive line. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I,
2: Go ahead. I think that um, in this role, a lot in a lot of schools is um, something that um, it, it's really important. Obviously, because like obviously, all the the functions that you mentioned, and even stuff as simple as. You know, you have a kid there for a game day visit. Well, who's he probably he's going to see and talk to Joliale and he's going to get you know his itinerary and things like that. So the and, and you know, just uh, every little thing with rec- recruiting visits, anything on campus recruiting, this is important. Uh, I think you mentioned the the charge, the, the chargers thing you mentioned, that's going to be super important because anyone that you can get in your program with that NFL background that says, well, here's how we do things in the NFL to recruit. That's uh, ultimately Uh, One of the most appealing things. All these kids want to play in the NFL. So you've got if you've got someone who's got an NFL background that can say, well, hey, here's how we did it there. Um, Even if it is something like, uh, you know, that's not necessarily on the field. Those things definitely carry weight. Um, And in general, I think that this uh, position is something that a lot of schools, uh, it's almost like NFL head coaches. Schools just want to get younger and younger at this uh, position because it's, you know, the more modern, more, uh, I don't want to say more modern and more creative, but, you know, modern creative ideas that, you know, like you said, you can use to stay kind of in touch with these high school athletes that you can use that really speaks to them and to not, not to someone, you know, of an older generation, you know, a way to, to get your message, to get your point, uh, whatever you're trying to sell across these high school kids.
0: Ryan, let me ask you this. People are leaving. Oh, you, you saw that turnip seed leave uh, last um, shoot last semester, I guess. Uh, J.R. Sandlin, uh, you saw Lee Davis, support staff leaving. Uh, is this, this is a tough question to answer. And I know it's it's going to be, it's going to be a difficult thing to, to approach. And um, I don't know, I'll just ask it like this. Is, are these people, support staff insiders, right, who see the big picture, Who go out and look at SEC schools and look at the documents that SEC schools have available to them, right? How much they're spending, what their budgets are, uh, recruiting budgets and whatnot, how much their facilities cost. Is this any kind of indicator? Is this any kind of red flag, Ryan? Do you think that NIL, the facilities, OU resources, whatever, could be a little bit of a bigger battle coming up than,
1: than what people thought? I mean, I think everything's going to be a huge battle. I think if you look at it case by case, you might be able to parse through. So the, the Thad turnip seed thing has been covered a ton, right? If you go in the Wayback machine, brought in to, to revolutionize, this is how you organize and structure a modern football office. Then when it got to just the, there's a price on everything. And Oklahoma maybe said, we'd like to prioritize some NIL, or maybe just raising X number of million dollars for a facility. What, what is Thad going to do at that point? Lee Davis has spent a ton of time in Florida. Look at how much time she spent in Gainesville going back to UCF, um, working with – Like, I think if you go case by case, Sandlin's probably seen an, an opportunity to move higher up the food chain in a a uh, program that's just now moving to the ACC and needs some. Hey, we've got a ton of money. How do you structure your program like the big boys, stuff like that? Uh, Jay Nunez, frankly, I, we killed him. for The special teams were awful. That's not a loss. I think it's a net positive for Oklahoma to have new – like. I, who, who did Oklahoma lose that you're not feeling like, oh my gosh, go out there, replace it? And the names that it sounds like they're looking at for the general manager spot are names that are already in the program, just yeah. uh, would be shifting around things like that. And so I, I think it's just more about this is what healthy staffs have attrition. Like, okay, if Oklahoma, uh, Jeff Levy left the program, but he went for a head coaching job. No one questions that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think when you look at some of the support staff stuff, it, it, it looks like. Maybe it's explained it away, but like again, I look at like Lee Davis going back to Florida, where she spent a good chunk of her career. That makes sense to me. Uh, in Oklahoma, going and grabbing somebody, just it, like that stuff is not a big to do. If this were like basketball, I'd be very worried because <laughs> I mean we, we know the score at the basketball and I L stuff like that. Yep. Uh, Oklahoma, you don't stack two recruiting classes the way that they just stack them purely on the fact that Brent Venables is an animal of a recruiter, not in today's NIL. Look at what happened to Alabama. Alabama might be the exception. We saw that it was what labeled, what, the Saban tax, that they didn't have to pay as much to NIL because people were working with Nick Saban, and they had transfers left, right, and center. Like, If Oklahoma's NIL is not firing at some level that's acceptable, the Sooners don't sign back-to-back big-time classes. So, If Oklahoma was like 17th in recruiting and then all this happens – then maybe you go, oh, what's going on here? But I, I don't think that's the case.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think each each case gets its own uh, gets taken on its own merit. Uh, and we'll throw this out there because it's it's been out there for a couple of weeks now, um, several days at least. Uh, one of the leading candidates for the GM job or to replace J.R. Sandlin is uh, none other than Curtis Lofton. Uh, Former OU linebacker, All-American, played in the NFL for a long time, to to Randall's point earlier about NFL connections, uh, NFL way of doing things. So if that comes to pass, we're not sitting here reporting anything. Uh, If it comes to pass, then uh, you guys will have already heard it uh, probably somewhere else. But uh, you'll have heard it here, too, because he makes he makes a lot of sense. Curtis Lofton, if you know him, I've co- I covered him when he was at OU. I asked, I've talked to him several times. He's got a growing family here in, in uh, the 405. Um, sharp, sharp dude. Knows how things are done uh, at that level. He's been with the Soul mission for a long time since it started. So uh, he would be a great candidate.
2: What, what the last thing I want to hit on on that is that you mentioned that he's with the soul mission, every recruit that I've talked to, which I talked yeah. to a lot of recruits, I ask him about the soul mission, they all love the soul mission, they all rave about the soul mission. So if you're bringing a guy who's straight from the soul mission to the director of recruiting, I think that that would be almost, you know, a no brainer, it makes sense to me to this aspect of the the recruiting pitch that kids already love you just promoting that guy to, um, to another higher position, I think that that would make sense for the Sooners if that is the route that they go.
1: Right. I, I think the only trouble with Curtis, and this is not actually like trouble, um, Oklahoma, I think, thinks very highly of Curtis. Mm -hmm. Depending on right now, it's very interesting, the definition of if you're the GM, can you touch any of the NIL operation? If you can't, I think that Curtis is a a key part of what Oklahoma tries to do there as far as related to the players, stuff like that. And so I I don't know what the titles end up being. Um, That's why – I don't think that the GM spot Curtis is, is for that, not because it's not Curtis or anything like that, but because of, and who knows what the NCAA, the NCAA has just totally stepped back and said, yeah. screw it. We, yeah, we, we, we lose every it. court battle. We get into all that stuff. Yeah. But I think that Curtis is going to be a key part of the program. It's just a, what title can he have to touch? What departments Oklahoma wants them to touch?
0: Yeah, to maximize his uh, his availability and his usage. Um, but this is one of those areas, Ryan. There's there's a lot of gray area over NIL, right? We've agreed to that. This is one of those areas where Oklahoma maybe needs to step outside of that gray area. If this is what they want, if Curtis Lofton as the general manager of personnel decisions or whatever title is going to be, if that's what they want. Don't be afraid of what the NCAA might say uh, in December of 2025 about something you did two years ago. Don't be afraid. Get out there, stick your neck out, and say we're going to do this. We're adhering to the rules. The NIL collective is allowing, is uh, is tied with this. Give it a shot. See what's the worst that could happen, right? You know that's kind of the way things are going with this NIL deal. What's the worst that could happen if we stick our neck out
2: and do things the way we think? that will maximize our opportunities. And hey, the state of Oklahoma could always just write into law something like the state of Missouri did, and then they're all good. Anytime. That can happen at any time. So yep. it needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about it on the pod before that states like Missouri are taking advantage of NIL and writing yep. these laws into place. And the state of Oklahoma is not uh, not just Oklahoma, but plenty of states aren't yep. doing that. And and it seems like that's something that's going to be on the horizon.
1: Yeah. That doesn't sound like the OU athletic department that I know. <laughs> I, don't I know we got to be I safe. We got to. I know sure that there are different rules and that compliance are officers are in different places. Uh, Oklahoma is certainly involved in NIL for everything we, we've talked about, but uh, I would be stunned if OU is ever on the front end of something like that. The stuff that's like in the gray area—that's not Joe Sieglio. That no. it's he's very black and white. Hell, Kelvin Sampson could still be the head coach at Oklahoma if. Uh, <laughs>
2: It's we'll see you in a few weeks, or what? A week soon.
0: That's right. Um, okay, so uh, some news in college football this this week came out this week. Wow! Finally, thank you for getting off the off the, the can and uh, and making it happen. Uh, the, uh, the the college football playoff board of directors unanimously revised the qualifying criteria for their twelve team playoff. What they're going to do is they're going to include the five highest ranked conference champions plus the next seven highest ranked teams as at large teams. And the CFP selection committee is going to pick the seven. So your five highest ranked conference champions will, will essentially make up your top four seeds, And then, and then your five versus 12, six versus 11 on down, those guys are going to play in the first round. And then the uh, four highest ranked conference champions jump in, in the next round. Um, this modifies the original plan, that, that, according to a press release. The original plan was uh, to include the six highest-ranked conference champions plus the next six highest-ranked teams. But the implosion of the Pac-12 means there's no more no more Power 5. There's only Power 4. Randall said it earlier, and my, my ears kind of twisted up in a knot. And I'm like, I'll never, I will never be able to say Power 4. When we're sitting here talking, I'll, I'll, it'll always slip out as Power 5 because that's, well, that's just the way I was trained.
2: I hear recruits say power four now, and it takes me a second. I'm like, geez, yeah. you're living in a new era.
0: Exactly. That's exactly. Uh, so anyway, the four highest-ranked conference champs are going to be seeded one through four, everybody else, and they get a first-round bye. which I'm not crazy about that, just the, the fact that you win your you, – you get a top four and you don't get to play at home. You're a top four team and you do not get to play at home. You jump into the playoff um, – at a neutral site, at a bowl game, at a new year, six bowl. Anyway, one more note from this thing, there will be no conference. Uh, No conference is going to qualify automatically and there will be no limit on the number of participants from a conference. Gentlemen, Ryan, you start.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think we have to get power four in our heads because it's going to be two and everybody else pretty soon. And you're starting to see (laughs) that already with the jockeying going on behind the scenes. But this is the one that makes sense, right? Basically, here was the trade: uh, Washington State and Oregon State. We're going to give you a few more millions of dollars, and we're taking away the automatic bid uh, because, in effect, like in what world is the four highest rank or the five highest ranked conference champions not going to include uh, the Big Twelve, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Ten? It's basically it's not cemented automatic bid, so. This was the the logical conclusion to one of the conferences that existed when you made the 6-plus-6 model. Poof, you just slide one of those from the Pac-12 tally into the at-large tally. Makes all the sense in the world. I I personally think the more interesting thing, guys, is we're going to have two years of this model, right? That's what's left on the contract. Beyond that, the jockeying you're seeing is... It could be a 12-team playoff. It could go to a two-team BCS National Championship. It won't. No playoff has ever contracted in modern TV contract times. But you're, you're seeing – and that's where you've already seen reports. I think Ross Dellinger and Yahoo wrote about that That there are reports that the uh, Big Ten and the SEC have already asked for four cemented guaranteed bids in the next playoff model, which goes back to what we talked about a week ago, Right. A lot cooler to be inside the club and not have to worry about it than having to be sitting in where Brett Yarmark has to like twiddle his thumbs and you're just like, man, I hope Brett gets in there and gets the Big 12 two automatic qualifier spots or, or whatever. And so uh, that that's what uh, the joy is there. Plus, uh, they're lobbying for more revenue for, for the uh, SEC and the Big Ten as opposed to so that stuff. That, that's why you wanted to be in the club. That's why uh, Florida State's trying to buy out its ACC grant of rights right now and go resell it basically on its own, all that stuff. And those are uh, things that Joe Siglione and Cristel Conti, Conte, they don't have to think about at night because they go, oh, Greg Sankey, what Greg Sankey wants, Greg Sankey's going to get probably, and we are included in what Greg Sankey wants now.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it's just – Really interesting that um, you know you're going to have all these conference shakeups. I mean, the Big Twelve is going to look completely different, and yet uh, you know that that new conference is still going to have you know at least one tie-in, potentially two, depending on how things shake out next year. And and it, it's going to create an opportunity for a team like uh, like you know that which you know we won't necessarily be I don't want to say covering next year, but a team like an Oklahoma State who this year we would have never thought that they were a playoff team, but I mean they were in in. Dallas for the Big 12 championship. I mean, that that's a team that even the, you know, it's not what we typically think of as a playoff team. They could be in the 12-team playoff or something like that. And so I think just the, uh, it, it really is interesting. It opens the door for a lot of things like that. I think that, uh, you know, the first round getting to host home playoff games, I think that'll be really exciting for those programs that get to do that. But I do think it's interesting, who that like you said, you win your conference and instead of being rewarded for that, I, you know, you you rewarded with the bye, but you don't get to play at your home, home stadium. I think that that's really interesting. Um, but I think that, like you said, OU and Texas picked the perfect time to, to move into the SEC because this essentially guarantees that if you have a good enough year, you'll basically get into the playoff, uh, you know, being an SEC team, even if you don't win the conference championship, um, just because as long as you're ranked high enough, you'll get that benefit of the doubt being in the SEC.
0: Do we know what they're doing with home ticket revenue for those first
2: round playoff games? I was wondering the same thing because, because you know, you it seems like you could potentially make your school a lot more money if you yeah. win a first round home playoff game than if you lose in a neutral site playoff game in the second round.
0: For sure. Yeah, you're taking away a home playoff game from a place like Norman, Oklahoma, exactly. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, you know, if, if they get in the top four, whoever it might be, Clemson or whoever. Mm-hmm. A home playoff game for those communities, for those college football communities would it would Rick measure on the Richter scale?
2: It would mm. be unbelievable,
1: and we're not going to get that. I just think that sucks. Yeah, well, it's weird like think about it in the context of this year. Alabama goes to Atlanta and beats Georgia. They get into the College Bowl playoff. If this had happened a year later, Nick Saban and the boys, woo, great job. uh We'll see you in the Rose Bowl. And Georgia, we're so sorry go host a game, right? Like Go play, go exercise those demons, go host a game. And I think part of that, we haven't seen anything, I think, uh, set in stone on the uh, distribution point. And so I think part of that is like, hey, there's going to have to be a bucket of money that's like, okay, the home playoff game revenue TV-wise is X million. And then if you make it to a quarter, it's going to have to be, Five X to make sure that the teams that advance—it's like the NCAA basketball tournament, right? The farther you go, the more money you make. I think that that probably is going to be the framework, but they're going to have to get the the numbers right pretty quick to make sure that hey, a, a team like Georgia that hosts a playoff game and then if they lost the next round, shouldn't make more money than Alabama if they if Alabama wins the SEC. You know what I mean? Like that—that that probably shouldn't be. Uh, right. It, it, at the very worst, they should make the same amount of money whether they hosted the game or not.
0: I'm right. sure when they get done with the the first initial meeting uh, and, and they, the board of directors leaves, you know, cast their vote and leaves, I'm sure everybody's going to be 100% on the same page of what to do with all that money. <laughs>
2: sure
0: everybody's going to be complete agreement that everybody gets this amount and everybody gets that amount. That's, how it that's, always that's, the, that's the sticking ball. point to me. That's the one that everybody's going to say, wait a minute we have some ideas we have some thoughts we'd like to voice our opinion on where this money goes
1: yep this is where being in the big 10 or the sec pays dividends though because here's the threat that's going to loom over it all i and i think this is how it's going to play out i think that greg sankey and is it patetti i'm sorry i i don't know the new um big 10 um commissioners named by heart as as, uh, they've swapped roles. But they're going to come in, and I think that they are smart enough to know college football is better, the college football playoff is better if every conference has a pathway and it's not just the Big Ten SEC Invitational. But that doesn't mean in negotiations, they're saying, if we take the SEC teams and the Big Ten teams off the table and say we're going to play our own playoff, who's ESPN going to call? The ACC, the Big 12, the Mountain West Conference? Or are they going to call Greg Sankey and the Big Ten and say, let's get this thing together. We're paying you guys money. Yeah. So I I think what's going to end up happening, I I don't know what they value more. Whether they value the money more of the SEC and the Big Ten getting the bigger cut. Whether they value, we want to guarantee that we have four automatic bids. And then we can, sure, once you're in the playoff, now that we've locked down, that we will have more participants than everybody else. And we've juiced the numbers. Then, yeah, we can just do it purely based off merit and competition and all that I think that's going to be the specter of the SEC the Big Ten are going to get behind closed doors. They already have with that working committee. What do we value? Now we're going to threaten that we're going to totally pull out to get that angle, and I think we'll find that out pretty quickly here over the next two years, whether they valued the money more or whether they valued locking down that they have 8 of 16 at the very least, whatever that looks like if it expands to 16 or 8 of 12. Um, I think that'll happen pretty quickly. And and that, again, goes all the way back to you wanted to be in the club that you just go, they're negotiating on behalf of us, as opposed to we have to hope that they value Oklahoma in the Big 12 on its own enough to include us.
0: The scary part of that is that it fluctuates. Power power distribution at the top of college football fluctuates from year to year, between conference to conference. Most years, you're going to find there are four good, quality, deserving teams in the SEC. Some years you're going to find that there are four good quality deserving teams from the big 10, but most years go back and look at it. Most years, the big 10 gives you two, sometimes almost three. And their fourth team is Tarash. And you know, you're talking about a Western division team that got hot and beat the right teams at the right time early on or something and got the right victory. And Northwestern goes to the big 10 championship game, right? Or Indiana or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's going to be your playoff team. That's the team that you're sending to the playoff. Uh, it, they play ugly football, Iowa, right? Uh, they're going to get hammered by a team with uh, 21 NFL draft prospects, Georgia, right? I mean, it's it's just, eh, it's very gives me a bad taste in my mouth when I think about what that what that playoff game is going to look like.
2: Well, it. I think the fact that the, the Big Ten will be deeper next year, I think that makes it more interesting. You know, with with the addition sure. of USC, UCLA, Oregon. Some of those teams, you know, could a Washington, could an Oregon, um, maybe you know, if Lincoln Riley is able to straighten things out at USC, could one of those teams kind of rise and become, you know, that third, fourth fiddle behind, you know, the Ohio States, the Michigans of the Big Ten, and I think that's where you know the Big Ten is hoping that, like you, like you're mentioning, they can put, you know, if if you're because if you're funneling Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington into the playoff, that's a pretty good four, group of four right there. But yeah. but you mentioned, you know, some some years. Um, some of those programs are down, things like that. And I think in the SEC, with just the talent that you have there, that's less of a concern. I mean, I think between the Alabamas, the LSUs, now Oklahoma and Texas, obviously Georgia, you know, Auburn will have its years where it rises, you know, Mississippi, Tennessee, other things like that. I think that there's a lot more strength uh, in the SEC from year to year, even yeah. with the additions that the Big Tens made.
0: You're appropriately looking at the future, Randall. My mind is stuck in the past, obviously, thinking about uh, Northwestern going to the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, same thing with the SEC when they add uh, Oklahoma and Texas. At least that's what the SEC wants is those years when there's not a quality third team or fourth team. Hey, Oklahoma and Texas can fill that role, right? That's that's what the SEC would like.
2: Yeah. I mean, and those, if, if those are your two teams – sorry, Ryan. If those are the two teams no. filling your third and fourth spot, I mean, those are the two of the biggest brands in no. all of college football. So if you've got two brands that big filling your third and fourth spot, then you know you're doing something right.
1: And at the same time, everything in college sports is slowly starting to mirror professional sports. Yeah. Uh, were the Brewers or the Cubs better than both the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks and the Phillies and the Braves last year? no. But The NL Central gets the same guaranteed representation as the NL East and the NL West. I, there have been a ton of years, not recently, where like, is is the NFC East really deserving of a team? Is the, the last couple of years it's been the NFC South and the AFC South? Are those teams really deserving of the same number of teams as, as say, uh, the NFC West or, or stuff like that? Well, that's what you have your wild cards, you have your bit like. It, it, we see that in professional sports um, all the time. The NBA not as much because uh, of the conference, but there was a time in the NBA where if you were the sixth seed, but you were a by record overall, but you were a division champion, you got elevated to the fourth spot. Yeah. That is just something that happens in pro sports, and pro sports just kind of live with it and knock on. And it, and it doesn't, it doesn't kill the playoffs every single year. I mean, it was the was the sub five hundred. Uh, Seahawks team that had the Marshawn Lynch earthquake game against this uh, a, a Saints team that that year by record the Saints should have hosted that game but the Seahawks won so we see it in pro sports all the time it fluctuates and uh, it's not the end of the world
0: yeah yeah you're right we'll make it work uh, and we'll enjoy it when it comes uh, we'll debate over who should get in and we'll debate over where the money should go but we'll enjoy the product for the most part we'll enjoy the product on the field. Let's switch gears. Uh, if you're on Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at underscore Ryan Chapman. You can follow Randall at RandallSweet5. And Don't forget to follow Ross at Ross Lovelace. Simple. And the new guy is at McInnis Bryce. Look him up on Twitter. Bryce McInnis, our new guy, doing a great job early on. Uh, our website is allsooners.com. We are a foundation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, All Sooners is free. No sign-ups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. It's all free at All Sooners. And if you want to advertise with All Sooners, just drop me an email at allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter. Randall, you ready to talk some recruiting? Let's do it. All right. Uh, How close is Oklahoma to getting a five-star safety commit from Jonah Williams?
2: I think that um, I think that right now OU is absolutely um, doing everything they can. I mean, I, obviously, there's been a few predictions from uh, a few a few places out there that have that have uh, predicted him to Oklahoma. Uh, that really came on the heels of a good junior day visit in late January. Jonah Williams was, you know, we kind of touched on a handful of those visitors a few a few podcasts ago, uh, but Jonah Williams was probably the uh, the headliner really of that group. Uh, top 15 prospect in the country, six foot three, two hundred pounds. Uh, can play kind of a hybrid safety linebacker position. What does that sound like to everyone that watches OU football, the cheetah position? Um, so you have to think that there's some cheetah versatility there. Uh, safety, probably more likely than linebacker. But again, uh, wearing OU gloves this past season in, in uh, one of the season finale games, a guy who's had a good relationship with Oklahoma, his whole recruiting process, uh, a guy who's visited multiple times before this junior day visit. And it seems like that one was really just the icing on the cake. Um, Again, from talking with his coach, it seems like they've got a good relationship there with Oklahoma. Uh, he hails from Galveston Ball High School, which, uh, if you're unfamiliar, that's also the same high school that Mike Evans went to back before he was a star at Texas A&M and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, the Ball High School, they're usually a pretty good program. Uh, big, tough, physical kids there. Jonah Williams fits the mold. And I think that um, you, if it's not something that happens necessarily in the public-facing Right away, I think it's something that behind the scenes OU's working really hard on. I think they're in a really good spot. Now, the one thing I will say is that he was uh, this past weekend at a 7-on-7 tournament seen wearing Alabama gloves. So that that may uh, make things a little more interesting. Obviously, you know, being such a talented prospect, Alabama's definitely in the mix there. Uh, but still, I think that we've seen um, specifically this year with the whole recruits wearing team gloves things that that really doesn't matter. Uh, it can mean anything. I think that OU is still in a really good spot. They just have to close and they have to, to really um, stay hard on the trail for Jonah Williams, which I don't think that's going to be an issue. This is a five-star prospect. OU's not going to let up on a guy like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Ryan, I'm going to ask you a question about a local guy. Uh, you wrote about his brother earlier in the offseason, uh, Nate Roberts. How important would it be for Oklahoma to get Nate Roberts tight in, four-star, five-star tight end? was previously committed to Notre Dame in the class of 2025. Uh, OU is building some studs in the tight end room, obviously, with with, uh, Joe John Finley. But Jake Roberts is his big brother, played previously at North Texas, was very good, played previously at Baylor, was very good. Now he's at Oklahoma. Your thoughts on the importance of landing Nate Roberts, just to be able to kind of solidify the the class
1: uh, from a local standpoint? But it's massive for on two fronts for me. One, the local standpoint, right? Like, what's the point of rebuilding those relationships inside the state of Oklahoma if when you have marquee guys, you don't go and get them inside of the state of Oklahoma? That's why you you yeah. go and you go to every high school in the state and all that stuff. But secondly, like, we just saw what the tight end room looks like, Right. In today's college football, you're always you've always been knock on wood, and this is grim. But like you've always been one injury away, right? Now you're one injury away, slash one random from the sky transfer away from having no returning starting offensive lineman, unless you want to include Jacob Sexton, who took over a role from a guy that's going to be a first round draft pick. Like we saw that on Oklahoma's offensive line. This is a tight end room that uh, last year, uh, not not 2023, 2022. So I guess now two years ago, we have to reprogram that. Uh, It was Braden Willis and, like, basically, he was the guy. Daniel Parker came in and blocked a little bit, but it was just Braden Willis. Thankfully for Oklahoma, he was healthy the whole way. But if he had gone down, who knows what that room's given you. A year ago, they go out and have to get Austin Stogner. They have to go out and get Blake Smith, who were kind of ineffective. We we talked about it. Don't need to hammer anybody. It is what it is. You guys all watched. Now, you got Devon Mitchell. You feel great about it. You got Jake Roberts for a year, but – Devon Mitchell, like stack someone else behind him. You're going into the SEC. The wear and tear is going to be tough. So what's better than having one big Haas guy in Mitchell that's going to be uh, an absolute physical specimen? Having two of those guys that you can then platoon, or it also helps cover up, hey, maybe your wide receiver room doesn't come along as well one year. Now you've got two tight ends, and that's a weapon for you. I think it's it's massive on not just the accumulation of talent, but also the, the home front, and that's what – That's what – if you want to get to the point that Georgia's at right now, the point that Alabama's at, they're greedy, right? Stack and stack and stack. Uh, Let the best survive. And if you're not good enough to play, then you'll transfer out three years from now and it's not going to be a big to-do because you were a scout team guy. Like you don't worry about that on the front end. Just get all the talent in, especially the Oklahoma kids.
0: I keep hearing about how tough it is to pull a Georgia prospect out of the state of Georgia how tough it is to pull an LSU prospect out of the state of Louisiana. When is it going to be tough to pull an Oklahoma prospect out of the state of Oklahoma? That's my point. I want to see Oklahoma or, hell, I don't care, Oklahoma State. I want to see these kids stay. I'll tell you a quick, uh, quick um, recruiting story in, of all things girls soccer. The three best players in the state of Oklahoma, uh, class of 2015, 16, 17, They all went to Arkansas. They all went to play at the University of Arkansas. And they were all very good at Arkansas. Had some all-conference players and all-Americans. Damn, why couldn't we keep those girls in the state of Oklahoma? You know, I don't care if you go to OU, TU, OSU. That's where I'm going with this. I want to see these local Oklahoma kids look around and say, hell no, I'm not going to play at Arkansas or Notre Dame or, you know, Oregon or whatever it is. I want to see him look around and say, man, these schools around here got it going on. I want to play here in the state of Oklahoma.
2: And, and you know, we've seen for years, the pa- I mean, the past decade, the state of Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma, Oklahoma State has not been able to keep the top players, football players in the state. The two, the, the three guys that I think of, and they're all from the Tulsa area, that come to my mind, right off the top of my head, Dax Hill, yep. Josh Proctor, yep. Miles Slusher. three solid defensive backs all out of the Tulsa area. Oklahoma needed guys like that, needed guys like that in their secondary for years and could not hit on any of those three guys. All three of those guys went to other programs and had really, really good careers at those other programs that OU could have used those those types of guys. I mean, even, even just the guys like that, names like that, it's been like that for years. Oklahoma really needs to turn the tides. Brent Venables and company have started to do that, but like Ryan mentioned, these marquee guys, these top-of-the-line guys, you have to get them to. It can't just be everyone else. You have to land those top, top guys in the state. That's what having that that home state advantage, that in-state pipeline, that's what you need it for, is mm-hmm. these top guys. I mean, that's great that you can go out and you can land at Devon Jordan and Alexander Shieldnick. Those are talented players, and you need those guys in your class from the Wagners, from the Tulsa Unions. But it's also important that when you have a top two, top three player at his position in the country in your state, especially 20 miles down the road from Norman, you go get that guy.
0: Mac Brown, Mac Brown told me one time, Well, Don, um, the state of Texas has 350 prospects a year. Uh, we're only allowed to sign 25. We can't sign them all. At Oklahoma, you don't have 350 prospects a year, you have 12, 15, 18, 20 depending on the year you can get most of those guys yeah find most of those guys and my name's not don by the way coach (laughs)
2: appreciate (laughs) you but it's john and it was oh sorry ryan
1: no it it was as as much as college football college athletics changes it's about geography college football is about geography Mm -hmm. look at a map where are the top recruits in the country, there's man. There's a great deal in Texas, Georgia, Florida. There's a, a hotbed in like Ohio and Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and then sometimes the West Coast. What are your college? What are what are your diamonds of college football? Oh wow, why are Ohio State and Michigan and Notre Dame, Ohio, Pennsylvania? Yeah, they're around there. Uh, the entire SEC. Oh, oh yeah, that's where all the big time recruits are: Georgia, Alabama, Florida. Why is USC randomly a West Coast school? That. Oh, Southern California, all that. Look at college basketball. Man, why did the Big East randomly pop up? Oh, basketball, in New York, Philadelphia, Chicago. Yep. Yep. It's a geography game. And as much as we want to complicate it, why does Colorado, why are they adrift? Why is Colorado running one of the biggest things in the country and they can't really get going at anything else? Where do your kids go for a cross-country running camp? Oh, it's Colorado because that's where it's va- – it's not rocket science. there's a reason why they, and then it just becomes structure. Oklahoma has been more organized than Texas A m historically. That's why Oklahoma is better than Texas A AM historically. Like, that's where that stuff matters. That's why Nebraska leaving the recruiting grounds of Texas, they were a dead program and they're needing Nil to revive themselves. like it, it's not that complicated.
2: Yeah, that's that's hundred percent right. and And one specific thing on Roberts that kind of to take bring this full circle. We mentioned the NFL experience earlier. I've talked to recruits, as him specifically, who say that they really like Joe John Finley. They value the fact that he played very briefly in the NFL and the fact that he got promoted from tight ends coach to offensive coordinator. So specifically in the Roberts discussion, uh, the, the Joe John Finley angle is going to help. But but Ryan is one hundred percent right. The geography of it matters. You need to go get these guys in your region. That's Oklahoma. That's Missouri. The the Lee Summit North pipeline that Oklahoma had started to build. That's kind of crumbling and falling apart Oklahoma needs this St. Louis they need that area they need to get these kids in Kansas and Oklahoma they need to be able to dominate that that region otherwise they're going to have trouble when they go into the SEC and with the way that Missouri is becoming a program on the rise you're going to be in a battle for those top kids from Kansas and Missouri and even Oklahoma with the University of Missouri so you've got to nip that in the and you've got to start winning those battles in Kansas in Oklahoma Missouri and of course Texas but I think that goes without saying.
0: Yeah, you mentioned St. Louis. First thing I think of is uh, Luther Burden. Yep. Had him exactly. committed. Exactly. Lincoln Riley, uh, he left and then uh, he decommitted and then Lincoln Riley left and then he went to Missouri. Anyway, I mean, we could go just, on and on for days. Yeah.
2: Aiden Green, Will and Winery. Those are just three guys recently that Oklahoma's yeah. lost to Missouri from all from that area. So, yeah. Need literally
0: lost. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Real quick, uh, Randall, where does uh, Oklahoma stand with C.J. Nixon, four-star defensive end edge rusher from uh, Weatherford? I love this kid, 6'5", 220, and kind of everybody wants him.
2: Yeah, um, so C.J. Nixon, a guy who uh, has offers to play football and basketball at a number of schools. He's kind of like Jaden Nickens in that way and that he's ultra talented at both sports. Obviously, his body style fits football a little, just you see how big he is. But, um, you know, he is still a little light. So if he's going to play edge at OU, which is the idea that I think OU wants, they would have to put some weight on him. I think that OU is fine with that because of how athletically gifted he is. You don't find many defensive ends that have the explosiveness to play basketball at a Division one level also. So the fact that he has both of those things, the size and the explosiveness to do that, that's, I mean, that's huge for OU for a program going to the SEC. He's one of the top players in the country, high four-star recruit um a guy that I think OU was a little bit distant on for a while because I think from what from what I've heard I've talked to some people that I'm close with in Weatherford uh saying that he was not really sure what he liked more whether he cared more about basketball or football I think that OU has kind of been able to sift through that kind of get through that um worry that they had and now I think that OU's full steam ahead uh, he was at OU's junior day I think the same one that Jonah Williams was at in late January uh, I think that OU made a really really good impression made a big move on him there I think that OU's in the driver's seat. Again, this is another premier marquee guy in-state that you need to land. I think OU's doing a good job. I think they've done everything they need to do. They just need to keep pushing, not let up on that one either. I think that uh, they're in the driver's seat.
0: Ryan, let's switch uh, gears to basketball. You were, uh, you were in the gym Saturday, um, coming off a loss, 17-point road loss at Baylor. They come home, they play Kansas. Kansas is kind of a good bloodied face a little bit. they got a fat lip. they got a swollen eye. They can't see very good. They're not punching very hard this year. Uh, Oklahoma comes in and rocks them around. I tuned in late in the first half. I clicked on uh, ESPN Plus or whatever it was. OU's up by 11. It was at that point that my wife says, oh, wow, they're up by 11. There's still plenty of time for them to lose, yeah. to which I said, oh, they'll lose by double. If they lose, they'll lose by double digits. And they did, Ryan, Sixty-seven, fifty-seven. 57 Another home loss. It's to the Jayhawks. You'd like to go out of the Big 12 era by beating the Jayhawks at some point. Maybe you can get them in Kansas City. I don't know. But is, is there – Mask it this way.
1: Is there anything wrong with this team? And if there is, what's wrong with this team? Well, there are a couple of things wrong. First off, uh, Ronald Suarez's ankle and John Hughley's knee. Those are the two biggest things right now that are wrong with this basketball team. We don't get to talk to Porter until probably Friday. as This is Oklahoma's bye week, meaning there's one week every year Big 12 team or in the new schedule this year. Big 12 teams don't have a midweek game. That's this week for Oklahoma. Uh, And it couldn't have come at a better time. Ronald Suarez sounds like a lot closer than John Hughley. Uh, Basically, the way you know that is when – it, it was asked last Friday, so before the Kansas game, is either one season ending, uh, and Porter said, I sure hope not for John Hughley. He didn't even, like, bring up Rivaldo. Because well, yeah. Rivaldo, we, we saw that one happen. Uh, and so that's the biggest thing. Step one, get Rivaldo Suarez back healthy. Step two, get John Hughley back healthy. Unless there's a setback, I would imagine Suarez will play in Bedlam. Who knows on Hughley? I doubt we'll get a straight answer. Uh, we'll see. I'm not sure Oklahoma knows 100% for sure. That's the first two issues. The third issue is if Oklahoma doesn't create turnovers, the half-court offense is broken. It has been broken under – I don't know if it was ever fixed, if it was ever up and running under Porter Moser. Uh, if you look at Jaden McCollum, his Big 12 splits shooting from deep are worse than Grant Shurfield's were through the whole Big 12 play. Grant Shurfield was not good, uh, frankly. And, and McCollum looked a lot different guy. He hasn't quit on him or anything like that, but – you thought that through the non-con, the way he figured out Providence, the way he figured out Arkansas, that they were going to have a little bit more. Well, it turns mm-hmm. out Arkansas stinks in Providence. I. They're the – heading into yesterday's games, that would be Tuesday's games, they were the, the first team out of the tournament. That has a great deal to do with the fact that, uh, that they've had a major injury since they played Oklahoma, so who knows if that one would look a lot better. But simple as – Oklahoma can't shoot from deep consistently. and You saw that, that they uh, – had seven in the first half. The wheels fell off the wagon. Only one in the second half, 422 from the field just in general. So uh, this Oklahoma team, it's just plain and simple. If they don't have Rodo Suarez at least, they're not winning any of these games left. None of them. They're, they're not yeah. going to.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Let's back up just a step. If if Suarez is playing against Kansas, or if Suarez and Hughley are
1: both playing against Kansas, do you think they win that game? Yeah, because Kansas stinks on the road. And you saw it in the first half. They—they. They, it's just that – Kansas has five guys that they trust that they can play. I think yeah. what Porter Moser started with this zero defensive rebounds from Sam Godwin and Luke Northweather. Like it just, it, it, it would have been a lot closer. It would have been on execution, all that stuff. Uh, but they would have at least had some options because Suarez has been Oklahoma's probably certainly their most consistent. And most yeah. nights, him and Jalen Moore, it's a coin flip between who's been the best player in Big 12 play. Yeah. Uh, it looks a lot different. I think that. The offensive issues paired with running out of gas because they just couldn't sustain that effort because Max cl- didn't really get much run. Uh, he's a guy that had played 38 seconds of Big 12 play before this. North weather was not playable. Right. Uh, they, they ran out of steam, which contributed the offense also stink. So it's like that. But which, how much of the blame pie do you want to put toward just the half court offense versus run out of steam to go 422?
0: Suarez has been at times in certain games against certain opponents uh, their best best player most highest energy player most impactful player guy that turns in big plays or dives on the floor stuff like that you love that out of him oh you currently 18 and 8 6 and 7 in Big 12 play that's good right now for 10th place in the Big 12 standings uh Ryan I'm not sure I don't uh, I'm not sure they finish with a 500 record in conference play because they've got um they got some tough games coming up at Oklahoma State Saturday you'd think they should beat Oklahoma State right just like the last three or four years they should have beaten Oklahoma State. <laughs> at Iowa State, which is number eight in the net rankings. Houston at home, which is number one in the net rankings. And then they finish with Cincinnati and at Texas, which are 39 and 38. Oh, by the way, OU currently 40 in the net rankings. Pretty safe, but you better not you better not screw around with that last five. I mean, if you go one and four against that last five, things get a little tough. Uh,
2: if then- you go two and three – I think you're good. If you go three and two, golden. It seems like one and four is really possible against that, that group. I know. I mean, you mentioned Oklahoma State. Obviously, that's on the road. If, if OU is missing a few of those guys, that's not going to be an easy win. Iowa State, have they lost? I don't think they've lost at home yet this season. Uh, it, Otzelberger, their coach, is up going to be one of the leaders for Big 12 Coach of the Year. Iowa State's been great. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really, really tough sledding for this OU team. Uh, and you know, you thought that maybe Kansas, on the heels of a 30-point loss to Texas Tech, maybe that's when you get them again. Like Ryan mentioned, they've got five playable guys. They have no bench, but not having Suarez, one of OU's guys, best off best guys off the bench, really hurt that one. I, I agree; would have been a big one to help secure OU's tournament um, seating. But yeah, I think that I think that, like you mentioned, it's going to come down to how you look and how OU looks in these last you know four or five games, and then I guess in the Big 12 tournament as well.
0: Yeah, and. If the, whatever they do, they're going to have to do it with Suarez and Hughley hampered at best. Right? Yep. Sore ankle, sore knee at best. So,
1: that's going to be tough. Yeah. 0-5 oh, is like on the table. I, it I, is. I, yeah. I, I totally agree. I know that uh, talking with Bob Prisbillo, who's like very on top of college basketball, Big 12, he, he stands by firmly that 20 is the win total you need. That's two more. I really, really feel like Oklahoma if they get two wins and at this point it doesn't matter where style points have never mattered in big 12 basketball like you just just bring sand in your pockets and throw it in the eyeballs of people whatever you need to do uh but I, I really think if Oklahoma gets two if they don't want to if they want to sleep in on selection Sunday you better win one in Kansas City because I'm not sold that merely going uh, beating OSU and beating Cincinnati and then Losing the rest and going Ofer in Kansas City. I'm not sold that gets you. You're opening yourself up to bids getting stolen if uh if uh, UNLV rolls through the Mountain West and suddenly that becomes like the fringe. Do they give them six or seven bids? Do they trim from the bottom of the Big Twelve? The SEC yeah. sending a ton of teams. Like I, they gotta find a way, I think, between the rest of the schedule and Kansas City to find three wins in there. And that's not happening if they don't win Beth.
2: Yeah. And and, and uh, Oklahoma State's fresh off of what, a 15, 20 point victory over BYU, who's a yep. ranked team. So it's not like that's a gimme. That, that's going to be a tough game, regardless of what their record says. And again, you guys mentioned it for the past few years, Oklahoma should have beaten this Oklahoma State team and they haven't done it. So even yep. though they did it by four earlier this season, especially with the two guys, Hughley Suarez down, is not a gimme at all. Even with those two guys playing, it's not a gimme.
0: Women's basketball continues to roll. Very impressive job by Coach Jenny Baranchik uh, and the players that she has accumulated. Um, they're nineteen and seven. They're thirteen and two in conference play. That's first place. They're over K State and Texas by a game and a half. Uh, those guys are eleven and three. Uh, they won at Baylor, then they lost their whatever it was, nine-game winning streak, 70-66 at West Virginia. And that was a game they absolutely could have won down the stretch. But uh, they bounced back this week, 95-87 win at Cincinnati. What the last few weeks have shown you about this team is it's not just Skylar Van, it's Skylar Van and a really good supporting cast. You saw Kirsten Johnson score, you saw Sahara Williams scoring, you saw uh, Lexi Key scoring. Inside, outside, fast-breaking. They shoot a lot. They, cr- they have a lot of turnovers like they did at West Virginia. I think they had 25 turnovers at West Virginia. But they also force a lot of turnovers, so they play at a high tempo. They're fun to watch. They uh, they get up and down the floor, and they score a lot of points. 95-87 at Cincinnati.
2: Yeah.
1: It, it just – as bad as they play against West Virginia – you have twenty four turnovers. You win the game. You make two free throws and go to right. overtime. If Nevada top makes those two free throws at the end of the game, I think they go to overtime and win the game. They, I think they settle it yep. down and Peyton Verhulst takes over.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think they won what nine of their last ten games or ten of their last eleven. So yeah. the, the the last month, two months, this team has been on a really, really good stretch. Uh, if you can carry that into Big Twelve play, into the tournament, I think that's great. Uh, and yeah, like you mentioned, they've got a good staff. Peyton Verhulst, the, the the transfer from Louisville, has been great for the Sooners especially recently so uh, the team has been playing really well when it matters the most you know who else has won nine of their last 10
0: nine of their last nine how about 60 of their last 60 uh the (laughs) softball team (laughs) Kirsten Deal with the complete game 10 strikeout uh effort last week I thought for sure she was going to be big 12 pitcher of the week Ryan but uh they roll on, awards or no awards, accolades or no accolades. They are cruising, and they're uh, heading out to the Mary Nutter this week.
1: Yeah, great from Kirsten Deal, but Texas romped through the St. Pete Clearwater, and that that was the correct decision. Texas should probably be – this is going to be inflammatory. Uh, based off of 2024 alone, <laughs> Texas should be ranked number one Oklahoma should be number two. Uh, that's how impressive the Longhorns have been, mainly because Oklahoma's just played just – uh, number four, uh, Washington, and number eight, Duke. But uh, the OU's going to have plenty of opportunities. Texas has just had uh, a couple of bigger weekends because they were with UCLA and then out at St. Pete Clearwater. But uh, Patty Gasso, I mean, her, her message uh, yesterday on Tuesday, and if you go to allsooners.com right now, the story is up is that they've been good enough to win. Uh, you get the sense that Oklahoma is playing nowhere near where Patty Gasso wants them to be playing. Uh, she cited the overswinging uh, a great deal in of Vallarta. I don't know if it actually got fixed because Central Arkansas and Lamar are just not very good. Um, they, they had the, those two games against McNeese. The second one was 3-0, another 10 left on base performance, which I know just grinds Padigasso's gears. And she was talking about how McNeese State outworked them. Out, Outwork was working harder in the field, gritty, all of that, and, and Padigasso's trying to get that team back to being more Blue collar. So she said yesterday at practice, it was uh, the closest to the old Patty that, uh, that the team got to experience. A little bit of hard nosed. Uh, I will stop any and every drill if you don't do it perfectly because you. That's what it takes. Uh, she's talking about you know trying to find ways to 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 stoke the fires and motivate a team that the only national champions in college softball either play on OU's roster or OU transfers. We're to that point. <laughs> <laughs> the only people that have won a national title in college softball have either played in Norman and gone somewhere else, like a Sophia Nugent or a Jocelyn Erickson or their TR. Jennings kids. Like, that is what Patty Gasso is having to deal with. She's like, it, it's uncharted waters for, for everybody. So I think uncharted territory was, was her official thing. So it, it's just interesting that uh, that's the Patty Gasso curve, which I know a lot of people sometimes when I'm talking about this, I'm like, look, I grade them the way that Patty grades them because that's how she's educated us on how to watch them early in the season. Uh, but the thing about this team is they, they tend to turn it on when the lights come on, and the lights are going to be on real bright this weekend in, in California. You may
0: have lost us 97% of our viewers' subscribers by saying Texas uh, should be number one. Uh, just so for two
1: weekends. Just for two weekends. weekends. For the next yeah. couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to send
0: you to Austin, and I need you to ask Mike White questions about <laughs> Patty Gasso and the OU softball program to kind of build that – uh, subscribership and that viewership back up if you don't mind i need you to go spend two weeks in texas a-
2: ask him uh, why, ask him why uh oh softball deserves to be number one or texas softball <laughs> deserves to be number one over OU softball right now yeah. i think that'd be a good question i ought to do it I, I i happy to do it happy to go down there should do you
1: deserve to be ranked number one uh yes no <laughs> thoughts on the kelly maxwell recruitment in the transfer portal yes <laughs> no. despite the fact that i was oklahoma and texas a&m and not Texas really ever involved. Uh, You'd
0: be trying to raid any players from the Oklahoma roster in the futures, for instance.
1: (laughs) Do you you have any thoughts on, uh, despite the fact that you took an Oklahoma volunteer assistant coach, but no one talks about that. (laughs) Uh, She was great, by the way, great, great person. Not anyone's fault. She was getting a paid position Put down the pitchforks, put down the pitchforks. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure that uh, Mike White will have plenty to say, especially when we are down there. uh, What? April 6th, 7th and 8th or 5th, 6th and 7th. One of those two. First weekend of April, I, we were the cool ones. We're the only ones that have hotels and stuff booked. So if anyone else makes their way down to Austin, just know they're following Ryan. They're not they're they're not going on their own accord. That's right. We're out there
0: cutting edge on softball. We almost went to the Mary Nutter, and then I saw the schedule, and I'm like, Nah. <laughs> if they play Nebraska, yes. They're not going to play Nebraska.
1: No, no. Oh, well. so shout out, shout out to Abro be out there, but uh, Jordy's not going to be out there. I would imagine either. So that sucks. That's right.
0: Yeah. Baseball, Sooners are two and two so far on the young season. Went two and one in Arlington, beat Tennessee, beat Nebraska, rallied late in both those games with some dramatic late inning heroics at the plate. Uh, They did it again last night against Dallas Baptist, had another late rally, scored two in the sixth, three in the seventh, tied it up at seven seven, and then they give up a grand slam. (laughs) Pitching at Oklahoma. Not very good right now, at least not yet. Uh, they're going to have to outscore some people, and they're going to have to get uh, their bullpen mm, order figured out. Uh, I guess. Any any thoughts on uh, on baseball, guys?
2: Yeah, I think I think that the team should at least be fun and entertaining this season. I think that there's yeah. a lot of interesting characters and interesting guys that could be MLB prospects on the team. I think um, you know, in the I think against Nebraska, it was a true freshman Jackson Willets from Fort Cobb, Broxton. Uh, which I, anyone who's from Oklahoma knows that that's a perennial small school baseball powerhouse. Yep. Uh, first collegiate hit was the walk off against Nebraska, so that's pretty cool. Um, again, a local kid, kind of, kind of getting uh, his shine in a, in a moment like that. But I think that uh, I think there's a lot of young guys, a lot of guys on this team, new faces that'll be entertaining to watch. Another another name that I've seen some MLB prospects talk about is, or MLB scouts talk about is Malachi Witherspoon, a pitcher. Um, so, just if you're watching OU baseball this year, a few a few names to keep an eye on it should be a fun season for them. I think that they'll get better as the season progresses.
1: Willits
0: is the son of former Sooner Reggie Willits, major leaguer, former New York Yankee Reggie Willits, uh, co- you know MLB coach. Um, so Reggie comes back home, Jackson freshman year. He drew the walk against uh, Tennessee that started the rally that sent it. I think it won it in the tenth or, or sent it to the tenth. I can't remember right off the top of my head, but. He uh, had some late inning heroics in both of those games. Um, And then last night, you know, you saw a couple of long balls, back to back long balls late in the game. You're right. This is going to be a fun team to watch. Chaos. 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 Is that what they call it? Um, Hashtag C H A U S. I can't remember how you spell it, but they throw the O U in there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, Because it's fun, because they disrupt the hell out of the other pitcher, the other uh, team's pitching staff. Yeah. They cause trouble on the bases, although they got picked off once last night and thrown out once a third last night. You don't ever want that to happen, but,
2: you know, that, that's the risk you take. It, it'll right. be a fun fun team to watch if you're heading down to Eldale Mitchell.
0: Yep. yeah, you're Reggie, the
2: that. associate head coach currently, too. Exactly. Yes.
0: forgot about that part.
2: Also, a,
1: on I, staff. I, I don't think that the pitching had a bad night in Dallas, but it was really good all weekend in Arlington. I mean, you look at the scores. Tennessee's a super high-powered attack. That Oregon game was two pass balls and a drop pop fly. Like, that was less on the pitching than a, a bad just night at the office for Eastern Carmichael. Uh, and then it, it was – wasn't it the, uh, the true freshman that came in and, and gave up the the granny in the uh, – was it the seventh there? So I, I think it's just they brought in a ton of arms. They're going to be really deep. I think they were just seeing what the youngster had in that moment and it, it kind of got away from him. DB is really good. Like. I, I don't think that's going to be the norm. I, I think the pitching actually might be the strength of this team, just because they, they went out and got a bunch of arms. And I mean, you saw it. Uh, anytime you do that to Tennessee, like you're in a good spot. And, and it uh, it was the offense that needed to kind of roll through at Globe Life.
0: Yeah, there's some there's some talented prospects on this team in, in the pitching in the pitching department. Uh, the pitchers are good. Uh, I just think they got to figure out their bullpen. I think that's something that's going to probably linger for a few weeks while they figure out early part, early season, you know, part of the season they're going to have to try to land uh, a role for certain players and other players, you know, that are playing, maybe getting a little bit right now, maybe they won't be playing as much later on and maybe some other guys will emerge. That's just the, the nature of a 56 game college baseball season. Generally speaking, Uh, gymnastics, women rank number one, men rank number one. Both those guys just keep on rolling. Uh, I'm not going to say count on another couple of national championships, but it wouldn't be like wrong. (laughs) National titles out of the gymnastics teams.
2: Uh, Yeah. After, after what we've seen the past, what two decades from men's and women's gymnastics at OU both not, would not be a shock. Final thoughts, guys. Just, uh, Keep making sure you're
1: locked in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The uh, All Sooners softball show, been having a lot of fun with that. Alex DiRocco hopped on yesterday to recap what she saw out at the Cowgirl Challenge, and especially next week as we roll out to the opening of Love's Field. It won't be the final iteration of Love's Field as – It'll be operational for the games. I think that they'll be continuing to finalize everything. And, and by the time postseason rolls around, it's going to look even a lot different than it'll probably look opening weekend. But uh, looking to uh, talk to some folks who have played a lot of softball at Marita Hines and see how excited they are to see their uh, their new uh, soon-to-be cohorts in the OU softball alumni group move into Love's Field. So those are Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon. noon. It's pretty easy to remember. Well, quick question. Press box? There will be a press box, Yeah, <laughs> I will no longer have to bring my postseason towel to f- yield off rain and or sun. Yes,
0: uh, yes. sunblock, uh, something to block the wind, something to hold down your papers, uh, something you to, to block the screen computer. for your, uh, your laptop so you can see because it's yes. in the direct sunlight. Dust, yes, it would be nice to have a press box for all the press that go to those games. Am I right?
2: The fir- first OU softball game I covered, I left uh, very red because I did not a <laughs> sunscreen. Just saying. Um, one last update from me. Recruiting, OU's heating up with a few guys. Definitely no. tune in. Uh, we, we did stories on Darion Coleman, a 2026 quarterback, who had some really, really interesting things to say about OU. Um, so definitely go check that out. Lincoln Cure, a tight end from uh, Goodland, Kansas. Again, one of the top two, three tight end prospects in the country. Uh, both of those dropped last week, so go check those out. We'll have some more recruiting stories coming as soon as I can get some uh, high school coaches to email me back and uh, and uh, keep your eye out for that, too. All right, fellas, thanks. Appreciate you. Thanks, Oof.
0: All right, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. You can get that podcast and all of our shows anywhere you listen to your podcast. Whatever platform you prefer, we're there. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player. Listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are listed and posted prominently on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.